Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, your host, Nigel Palmer. Well, as always, we have so much to cover, starting with the disappointment after the King's speech about the government's failure to keep its promise on leaving nature in a better place in Britain. In fact, they haven't broken one promise, they've broken at least 10, which we will highlight in this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. And join me for a relaxing early morning stroll on the edge of the South Downs to explore Britain's wild winter visitors. And we have the return of Mindful Moments. It's our chance to spend a little bit of time together in nature. And this week we have some audio that I recorded that I've called Sound of the Suburbs. And let's see if you can see why. Although it's not entirely relaxing, it is a wonderful wall of sound that many of you will be familiar with. So, without further delay, let's get started and into this week's Wildlife Matters podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News, where we're looking at the King's Speech and the 10 broken environmental promises of the UK government. Despite the government's assurances of leaving nature in a better state by the end of its tenure, there are increasing concerns that its nature negative agenda is undermining its manifesto commitment. This includes repeated attempts to water down environmental protections through ditching nutrient neutrality rules, the recent announcement not to prioritise species reintroductions and passing of the retained EU Law Act which allows the UK government to revoke or weaken environmental legislation without parliamentary scrutiny. Additionally, there have been several delays to critical policies such as biodiversity net gain, a chemical strategy and a substantial review of the national planning policy framework that was promised for 2023. The latter is unlikely to happen now until next year and this means even more uncertainty for the planning system which has been in absolute turmoil throughout this parliament making it challenging to secure protection and nature recovery within the planning system. Craig Bennett, the Chief Executive of the Wildlife Trust, told Wildlife Matters that So far, the UK Government has failed to find parliamentary time to ban peat sales, even though this has been a long-standing commitment. Yet, it has found time to propose the weakening of water quality laws and to announce that species reintroduction is not a priority, despite evidence that clearly shows the benefits. The UK is officially cited as one of the most nature-depleted countries in the whole world. A major study recently found that a shocking one in six species is now at risk of extinction and the massive decline in abundance of most species bodes very poorly for all of us. Whether through a lack of pollinators for crops or thriving habitats to filter water and store carbon, nature's buzz and song are disappearing from our lives and so are a huge range of other benefits that nature brings us. 
The UK government has recognised the need for urgent action and has made big commitments, but it has failed to keep them. And that's why we're publishing a list of this government's broken promises. It's a wake-up call to us all. And now quoting directly from the Wildlife Trust list of UK government's broken nature promises. The first was agricultural environmental land schemes and farm regulation. The UK Agriculture Act promised to reward farmers for creating public goods, but new agricultural schemes in England replicate the mistakes of the previous failed policies. The more ambitious elements of the schemes, including landscape recovery and countryside stewardship higher tier, have poorly been watered down, leaving many of the most nature-friendly farmers at a loss. Furthermore, cross-compliance, the requirements to safeguard our environment from the most damaging farming practices will cease in 2024. DEFRA has still not published details on what regulatory baseline will replace it and there are significant regulatory gaps around the hedgerow protection, soil management and buffer zones along waterways. The second broken promise was on the ban of horticultural peat use. The UK government consulted on plans to ban the sale of peat and peat-containing products in 2022 after a series of failed voluntary targets which date all the way back to 1999. The response to the consultation was clear, with over 95% of respondents calling for a ban on the sale of bagged peat compost by 2024. The UK government has since committed to this, but has yet to introduce legislation to implement this ban. The King's speech was the final opportunity to meet this commitment. It failed. Peatlands are critical habitats for wildlife and store vast amounts of carbon. However, they actively emit carbon when drained of water and are dug up for the use as a growing medium. Broken promise number three, suspected failures to comply with environmental law over sewage discharges. The Office for Environmental Protection, or OEP, has identified possible failures to comply with environmental law by three public authorities, the Department of the Environment, the Food and Rural Affairs, or DEFRA, and the Environment Agency, and off what about regulating combined sewage overflows. For DEFRA, the potential failures relate to the requirements of urban wastewater legislation water quality legislation and DEFRA's duty to make enforcement orders where sewerage companies fail to comply with their duties to deal with sewage effectively. Broken Promise 4, 3030 target. Back in 2020, through the Leaders' Pledge for Nature, the government committed to protecting at least 30% of land and sea for nature by 2030. That's its 3030 target. But so far, little if any progress has been made. This year's report found that only 3% of land and a maximum of 8% of the sea is effectively protected for nature. 
DEFRA has yet to publish a plan on how they will measure the 3030 target, despite consulting on it in March 2022. The government's claim of being on track to meet the target were recently proven untrue following a freedom of information request by the Wild Wildlife and Countryside Link. Broken promise number five, land use framework. As part of the government's food strategy published in June 2022, it promised to publish a land use framework for England this year to ensure we meet our net zero and biodiversity targets. It has since repeated this commitment in response to the House of Lords Land Use in England Committee report and its 2023 Environmental Improvement Plan. The framework has yet to be published despite being badly needed to ensure that all uses of our finite land, making space for nature, growing food, capturing carbon, providing homes and the other built infrastructure society needs are strategically planned so the UK government can achieve its targets. Broken promise number six, beaver reintroductions. In May 2021, the Environment Secretary announced that the UK government was looking positively towards introducing beavers and further releases of this iconic species in England. Then, Boris Johnson promised to build back beaver in October 2021. However, in October 2023, DEFRA concluded that species reintroduction was not a priority and that the UK government's aims to reach its biodiversity targets through other methods including habitat restoration and biodiversity corridors. Evidence proves that beavers bring considerable benefits to other wildlife and create habitats that alleviate food risk and reduce the effects of drought. Vast numbers of wetlands have been lost in the last 50 years. The fastest and cheapest way to restore these habitats is to allow the reintroduction of beavers. Broken promise number seven, the Nature Recovery Green Paper. The UK government published a consultation in March 2023 on how protections for wildlife sites and species can help best meet their ambition to restore nature and halt the decline in species abundance by 2030. A response to the consultation has yet to be published. Broken promise number eight. Scale up green social prescribing. Despite a promise to scale up green social prescribing across the healthcare system, the government's green prescribing for mental health demonstration program has not been extended beyond June 2023. And that means following the pandemic, when this became so noticeable to so many people that were suffering their mental health and what a difference being out in nature made, they couldn't keep the plan running for two years. Broken promise number eight, a natural history GCSE by 2025. The government announced a new natural history GCSE by 2025, saying that the qualification will enable young people to explore the world by learning about organisms and environments, environmental and sustainability issues, and gain a deeper knowledge of the natural world around them. 
This promise, though, will be broken because the UK government has not consulted on the subject content that was due in April 2022, nor has it carried out the other necessary steps required by the OCR qualification body. And this means that the first lessons due from September 2025 will not happen. And finally, broken promise number 10 to end the badger coals in England. In 2021, the then Environment Secretary George Eustace promised to phase out the badger coal by 2025. However, Environment Secretary Therese Kofi has since announced that DEFRA will continue to cull badgers. At the Royal Welsh Agricultural Show in July 2023, Therese Coffey said, I'm not going to be held by some artificial deadline that has already been put in place. We will keep culling as long as it is the best way. Therese Coffey continued, however, culling badgers will not solve the problem because badgers are not the primary cause of the spread of bovine tuberculosis in cattle. Cattle to cattle transmission is the direct route of infection. What we need is an effective cattle vaccine and improved bovine TB testing in cattle must be provided. These offer the best way to reduce bovine TB in the cattle population. Yes, thank you, Therese Coffey, for stating pretty much exactly what Owen Patterson said 10 years before, that they were working on an effective vaccine and that cattle to cattle was the cause of bovine TB in cattle and that you needed more testing that I was involved in, as were many others, of doing that new testing almost seven to eight years ago. So the equipment's there available on the market and we all know that the vaccine is the BCG vaccine that is given to people and that is freely available around the world. So government fail again. 10 failures of green and environmental policies from one government. But for now that is this week's Wildlife Matters and Nature News. was some really quite depressing news on nature news this week wasn't it such a letdown from the british government for nature and climate environment it's um, difficult times so it's really nice to bring back an opportunity today spending a few mindful moments in nature together for a little while now so i'm not sure this is the most relaxing it's um, a piece of recording I made that um, I've called Sound of the Suburbs and uh, let's see if you can see why.
Oh, well, I love that. The wonderful sound of a Corvid symphony raining out through the streets all over Britain. Um, they're just amazing, aren't they? You've got to love Corvids. Right, that was Mindful Moments. So now on the Wildlife Matters podcast, uh, I'd like to invite you to take a walk with me out in nature and let's discover some of Britain's wild winter visitors. And as you join me today, I'm on one of my favourite walks through a small area of beech woodland that stands out as an island amidst a vast expanse of arable farmland on the outskirts of the South Downs. Although it was a chilly and misty morning, visibility was good, and the winter sun was visible through the haze in the vast open sky. While walking through the woodland, I heard a rare but familiar sound that indicated that the onset of the colder winter months was not far away. I tried to locate the source of the sound. It was a buzzy and slightly wheezy call, and then they came into view. Initially, maybe 20 or 30 of them, they called loudly to each other as they searched the woodland for beech nuts I had just spotted my first flock of brambling for the year. Brambling are winter visitors to the UK. Most arrive from Scandinavia via the nearby European continent. They prefer the land-based route rather than the challenge or taking on the challenge of the North Sea. The winter distribution of bramblings is dictated primarily by the availability of seeds or the masts of beech trees. The flocks leave their breeding grounds in northern Scandinavia and Russia to roam across Europe in search of an abundant food supply. Their sharp-edged bill, more substantial than that of their close relative, the chaffinch, is well adapted for cutting into the beech mast. Male and female bramblings have different appearances, which is known as sexual dimorphism. During the breeding season, Male bramblings have a jet black head and brown body with black wings and tail. And when in flight, their long white rump and orange breasts are particularly noticeable. However, in the UK and in winter, male bramblings have a mottled grey-brown head, dark brown wings and pale yellow to orange bill with a black tip. The female Brambling's winter plumage is similar to that of the male. Her brown plumage is plain and her orange breast and shoulders are a more subdued shade. Even the juvenile bramblings look very similar to the female, but their belly and rump are tinged in a dull yellow colour. Bramblings belong to the finch family, and they're similar in size to the native chaffinch. The finch family is classified as fringella with bramblings being Monte Fringella or mountain birds. The low bramblings may be mountain birds. Here in Britain, they're found in the woodland areas throughout Northern Europe and, of course, Siberia. They breed in the cold northern climates and then migrate to the UK in the winter to feed. And bramblings are omnivores and primarily they'll consume small invertebrates such as earthworms, ants, beetles, 
fruit and berries, of course. They enjoy eating the nuts or masts of beech trees, and they're often seen in British woodlands. Later in the winter, sometimes you can see them in gardens as they're looking for seeds and berries off the bird tables. Bramblings are often found in large flocks of mixed species. Sometimes they'll be with chaffinches or other close relatives such as the bullfinch, greenfinch and even crossbills. While bramblings are flock birds during the day, they do not roost colonially. Instead, they break off into small groups and often spend the night deep in the hedgerows or thickets where they are protected from their predators. Leaving the bramblings behind me feasting on the beech nuts, I crossed to a small area of meadow that links the two edges of this semi-ancient broadleaf woodland. Fieldfare is a winter visitor and a member of the thrush family. It's very similar in size to the native missile thrush. It can be distinguished by its vibrant hops when ground feeding and its upright stature when standing. Fieldfares are very sociable birds and can be spotted in mixed species flocks, sometimes with starlings and, as was the case today, with redwings. Today's group was around 40 to 50 individuals, a mix of fieldfare and red and red wing, busily feeding on hawthorn berries along a thick hedgerow between the arable field and the woodland's edge. These birds have a massive appetite for fallen fruit and are known to feast on crab apples in the woodlands or hedgerows at this time of year. Both the male and the female fieldfare have a steel blue-grey head, pale grey rump, brown wings and a long black tail. Their underwings and belly are white, but their most outstanding feature is their stunning yellow ochre throat and speckled chest. Although they are one of the thrush family, their Latin name is Turdis pilaris. However, the fieldfare name originates from the Anglo-Saxon word fledwell, which means traveller of the fields, and I think that suits them perfectly. About one million fieldfare migrate to Britain for the winter, quitting their North Scandinavian breeding areas as the rowan crops run out. Fieldfares are gregarious birds, most breeding in colonies and usually found in flocks that stay together through the winter months here in Britain. Fieldfares are also very wary birds. Despite the safety of their numbers within the flock, when concerned, they will often fly into the top of the tallest tree, all sitting prominently and, intriguingly, facing into the prevailing wind. Now, I can't find a reliable source to explain why they do this, but it's a fascinating behaviour. Today, I found them busily browsing a large mixed hedge that stands around three to maybe four metres tall and must be at least two metres deep. It must also be at least a hundred years old and it's full of hawthorn, blackthorn, field maples, crab apples, and it's all wonderfully intertwined with spindle and dog rose. The hedge provides a feast of berries, and as they travelled along, they took spiders and other tiny insects and moths as they systematically made their way along the ancient hedge. As I sat quietly watching, totally enthralled by the spectacular scene before me, 
and noticed a few birds were feeding from the ground. This was a bit of a first for me, as they were taking beetles and larvae and worms from the soil and in their wonderfully loud way telling other members of the flock all about the beautiful food they'd just found. I could see some of them digging in the soil, scraping with their beaks and finding centipedes and even larvae. This meadow isn't cultivated. Instead, it provides a stunning spring and summer display of wildflower that begin to turn into a crispy brown structure that almost falls in upon itself as winter approaches, with the teasels remaining upright, stood like centurions overseeing the meadow. The Wildlife Trust have grazed goats and cows on the site in recent summers, and that has provided a rich new growth of flora that I'm sure is because of the improved soil from their natural fertiliser and the natural disturbance of the soil has unleashed a plethora of seeds that have germinated and reseeded for the future. The hedgerow feasting continued as they gorged on the hawberries and rose hips and the ivy that provides such a nectar-rich boost for them at this time of year. It's still mild here for the season. It's 12 degrees today. You could drop into around maybe half of that overnight. So there are no frosts or harsh weather to contend with. But the meadow ground is saturated and waterlogged and it was flooded recently. All along the old hedgerow are crabapple trees that peep up out of the top of the hedge and display their fruits like baubles hanging from a Christmas tree just waiting to be eaten by the hungry field fairs. The field fairs are skilled at working the apple on the tree, plunging their beaks into the brown or softer areas of, of flesh. I could see the apple pulp on their beaks and tiny pieces of apple being thrown all into the air in all directions as they shook their heads to clear the juicy pulp before sticking their beaks back into the apple again. As I said, this was a mixed flock with them as many red wings as there were field fare. Red wings also belong to the thrush family. They are physically the smallest of the thrush group, but visually they are the most stunning. They have a beautiful red blush on their underwings and it's quite noticeable when they're in flight. So red wings are approximately half the weight of a song thrush and they have a unique creamy white colour bar above their eyes along with a distinctive supercilium or eyebrow marking in their feathers. The red wings that come to the UK for the winter have travelled from two distinct breeding areas and there are slight differences between the two different groups. However, they're not officially another species. See, some red wings that breed in Iceland are slightly larger, with more distinct breast markings and dark brown legs. These have the Latin name of Kobanite, whilst the red wings that breed in Russia and in the northern parts of Scandinavia have pink legs, and their Latin name is Il Iliacus. Today, the red wings here in Sussex were the larger Coburnites, Icelandic natives more commonly found in the west of the UK and Ireland. Like all wintering thrushes, their preferred diet is soil invertebrates, especially earthworms. However, they eat a wide variety of fruits and 
In harsh weather, they'll eat nothing else. Red wings will roost in flocks ranging from tens of individuals to several hundred. However, I have never been lucky enough to see roosts quite that large. The excitement of seeing and hearing red wings as they go to their communal roost provides a beautiful experience that had me sitting out well into the evening on a cold winter's night last year, and I'd happily do it all over again. It intrigued me and had me wondering what they do when they are in their winter roost, which is dark and cold mid and late winter and could last for up to 16 hours a day, possibly more as their daytime feeding is so limited at that time of year. I know that red wings are very sociable and can be heard chattering with each other constantly. The sound level rises to a crescendo when they find food. But if they sense a potential predator, they scatter to the nearby trees, taking different branches and perch heights, and they stop chattering instantly. The silence and random placements seem to confuse the predator, and they often retreat without preying on the redwing. I've been told that they also use this tactic to defend their nests in the summer, even though they are ground nesters. Red wings are omnivores and they have a similar taste in food to their relatives, the field fares, and identical habitat preferences. They are not woodland birds like Brambling we saw earlier today, instead preferring fields with hedgerows and trees for roosts. They make great travelling companions with the field fares as they feed on winter fruits from the same hedgerows. I always consider myself fortunate to get a small glimpse into the real life of wildlife. I love our native British wildlife species, the birds, the mammals, the reptiles, the amphibians and everything else. Still, it is genuinely a privilege to get such a close-up and personal insight into the everyday lives of birds that spend just a few weeks with us every year. And they are one of the many reasons I encourage people to get outside and walk all year round because there is always something new and intriguing to find when you spend some time at one with nature. I hope you've enjoyed joining me on my walk today over the edges of the South Downs and I look forward to taking you on another adventure really soon. you're listening to me now i hope you've enjoyed meeting some of our wild winter visitors i've heard from a few of you who are listening whilst out in nature some are doing surveys others are looking after our incredible native flora and fauna and i've even heard from one lady who shall remain anonymous who said that she listens in bed and rarely gets to hear the end of the podcast as she's fallen sound asleep well wherever you are and however you listen thank you for being here and being part of our ever-growing community of wildlife and nature lovers i do enjoy reading your emails and i would love to receive more so do tell me what you're doing and why you love wildlife and nature our email address is hello at wildlife 
wildlife-matters.org. That is hello at wildlife-matters.org. And I like it when you say hello. And remember, if you like what you hear, please go and tell somebody, share away, as that is how our community and our influence will grow and our voice for wildlife and nature gets louder with every share. We will be back in two weeks' time. But for now, this is me, Nigel Palmer, Wildlife Matters, signing off.